You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. While you were skipping stones, building forts, and flying kites, I was missing school and on my Saturday nights. Other kids were climbing trees and rolling down hills. I was singing songs to pay my family's bills. Little me. Hello, welcome back to Little Me Podcast. Happy Thursday or whatever day you're listening to this. Today I have the most special human with me. She made her Broadway debut in high school in the original company of Spring Awakening and went on to star in Wicked, SpongeBob SquarePants, and received a Tony Award nomination for her performance in Tootsie. She's a total delight. I'm obsessed with her. Please welcome Lily Cooper. Hello. Hi. Lily, we were supposed to do this on March 19th in the Broadway Podcast Network studio, but that did not happen. Almost a year ago. Wow. I mean, that is so wild. How are you? How am I? What a loaded question, right? I'm okay, I guess. Like I said before, it's like, I don't know, I'm alive. I'm fairly healthy. You know, those are all the things that we can kind of wish for these days. You've also created a beautiful sound studio in your home. And I'm like the most proud of this. I don't know if you have had this experience, but during quarantine, I was extremely bored. So I found all of the projects in my apartment and I transformed my walk-in closet into a recording studio. Where are your clothes is the big question. So luckily I have a two bedroom and this is my spare bedrooms walk-in closet. Got it. All right. Okay. Fine. Fancy. (laughs) Um, We're going to go, I want to go back to the beginning um, and hear about how this all got started for you. Now, if you know Lily Cooper, you probably know her dad is like a huge Broadway star, Tony Award winner for the life, Chuck Cooper. Um, Talk to me a little bit about growing up in the house where dad is like an enormous theater star. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think the thing that that made my upbringing so unique um, was the fact that I actually grew up in Hell's Kitchen. I grew up literally blocks away from Broadway and I grew up in a high rise in Manhattan Plaza where, you know, Alicia Keys lived and you ju- you name it. Everybody lived. And um, so I was really, really just like so fully immersed in the world of theater and the arts from when I was a baby. Um, And especially because my dad uh, is and was an actor. And I my first experience with Broadway was, you know, backstage at my dad's shows. So I was just I was truly a Broadway baby. I love it so much. So your dad won a Tony for the life. You were like six or seven then? Yeah, I believe it was in 97. So I was seven years old. So do you remember anything about that experience about having this big moment? 
Yeah, I think I I definitely didn't really realize the scope of the Tonys when I was that young, but I remember my brother got to go with him. So my brother was sitting next to him, my brother Eddie, and I remember watching it on TV with my mom and a few friends and my other brother. And um, we saw, like, they called my dad's name and my dad truly did not believe it. And my brother had to be like, you want? go get up get up and I saw my brother like push him out of his seat and I just have like that vivid memory of how funny that was oh my god it's so cool were you singing and dancing were you trying to like emulate him was that how did it get started for you on your end yeah my performance bug really started with dancing um I started as a dancer started taking dance classes when I was like five I did summer intensives every summer for over a decade and that's really what I loved and what I was pursuing. Um, and it wasn't until uh, middle school that I decided to kind of shift my career into musical theater and into singing and acting. Um, and something really interesting happened to me in in middle school, which is what I think was the kind of catalyst for that shift, which was that I got cyberbullied in seventh grade. And it was a really terrible, terrible year for me. And it was just an awful experience. And I was you know, with friends who I thought were friends from elementary school who I'd known my entire life, who truly just, you know, were these terrible people that I didn't need to be surrounded by. And so what I discovered was that I really needed to pursue my secret underlying love for musical theater. And that's when I decided to transition to a performing arts um, middle school for eighth grade. And that's when I really found, you know, my family and the, and the group of people that I loved. And that's, so that's sort of what led me to musical theater. Um, And I'm kind of, I'm really proud of that, that this kind of like dark thing in my, in my past is what, you know, inspired me to like follow my dreams. Well, I think a lot of little theater kids are misfits or they don't figure out where they fit. And then they are in a room and they're doing Seussical in 2020 or whatever. And then all of a sudden they're like, this is the thing. These are the people that get me. And then their whole life, you know, takes that, that shift. And I'm sure that experience was similar for you as well. Exactly. Um, Talk to me about LaGuardia. So you, did you know that you're like, this is where I want to go to high school? Forever. I knew that's where I wanted to go to high school because I have two older brothers who are both artists and actors and they both went to LaGuardia. So it very much felt like a legacy. And I knew I had seen my brothers in plays there and it always felt so fantastic and so exciting. And, you know, watching the movie Fame as a kid, you're just like, it's like a dream to go to school. And so I remember it being this really exciting thing prospect for my future. And um, I auditioned when I was in eighth grade and I got in and and it was a really great school for me. Now, were you auditioning professionally at all? Had your family kind of set you up? Like, did you have an agent or a manager as a kid? No, not at all. I had never auditioned really until I got into high school. Um, I was super shy actually as a kid. And I think it it took a while for me to kind of break out of my shell, like really until I was in high school for a few years to realize that I was even ready to start auditioning or work professionally. So yeah, high school was the first time that I ever started auditioning. And my first ever audition actually was for um, Spring Awakening. Oh my God, that is a wild story. So how did that audition come to you? Yeah. Okay. So at LaGuardia, we do musicals every year and I was in Hair. Was that the, was that the all, that wasn't the all school musical. What was that? 
It was. It was the all-school musical. Yeah. Wow. They normally don't do anything edgy ever for that all-school musical. Right? I know. This was very edgy. They were going to do Guys and Dolls, I think, and then they changed it to Hair, which was a pretty big shift. Yes. Um. So, and you know, at the end of Act One, instead of everybody being naked, they just we just invited all of everybody's little siblings to come on stage. It was very strange. I mean, that is the polar opposite. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, agents and managers come and see shows at LaGuardia and they kind of scout kids and they'll hand out um, cards to people if they're interested in representing them. And I got a card from this wonderful agent and that I was a little intimidated by even pursuing. So I didn't reach out to her until months after she had given me her card. And I called her one random February and she said, oh, I'm so glad you called me. I actually have this great thing that I was thinking about you for, and it's going to be perfect. It's this show that really nobody knows about. It's a workshop. Um, so they're developing it. It's called Spring Awakening, and I would love for you to go in for it. And I was 15 at the time. And so this was my first professional audition ever. My mom had to come with me because I was, you know, a minor. And I had gone into this audition, and I sang, I think I had to sing Mama Who Bore Me, and I did a few scenes. And in the audition, they asked me if I could learn The Dark I Know Well. And so Duncan Sheik and Kim Grigsby took me into... <laughs> another room and taught me this song and I had to sing it you know at the audition and the funny thing is my mom always tells me she, she was in the waiting room and she's like I knew you booked that job the second you walked in there they loved you and of course I didn't know that I was like an insecure little 15 year old but you know there was something in me that that had this underlying confidence I think that allowed me to really show off my uh flex my muscles. And obviously your parents were very supportive of you pursuing this in whatever way you wanted, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I don't, they never pushed me into it. They weren't like, you must be an artist. Um, I think that would be kind of insane if they did. <laughs> yeah, <of course. laughs> but they always knew that it was in our blood. It was in our family and and they would not be surprised if it did happen. And so they were incredibly supportive and, and you know, loved the fact that I, that I ended up following that path. Were there other kids at LaGuardia that you knew were auditioning for Spring Awakening? Um, no, not at the time. Uh, at the time it was just the workshop, which was before Off-Broadway. And I don't think I remember anybody auditioning for it then. I do remember later on after Broadway had opened and we were running for a while and they started the tour that a lot of kids from LaGuardia started auditioning for the tour. Um, so I do remember that, but no, I didn't really know anybody else working professionally at the time or really auditioning. It was kind of a unique thing because LaGuardia is very much like a conservatory college and they were very passionate about us being in school and training before we had ever gone into the field and started auditioning and working professionally. So weirdly enough, it was actually quite a challenge for me to make it work. Um, even though I was in this performing arts high school. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna get to the SDF yeah. and all of that in a minute. Oh, yeah. oh, it's coming. So you book this big show or what potentially is gonna be a big show. Talk to me about the first few rehearsals of now being like, oh, I'm in a professional job where someone's gonna give me a paycheck and I am in 10th grade or whatever. Oh yeah, so crazy. I think the thing that made it way more comfortable and it felt like a very safe space was that a lot of us were around the same age and we had to do tutoring during the day because it took us out of school. So for rehearsals, the younger kids who were in high school would come in to rehearsal earlier 
and then do three to four hours of tutoring in the rehearsal space and then start rehearsal with everybody else. So we had kind of like longer, more intense days than everybody, which was hard. Um, but it was nice that we had each other to kind of rely on. It was at the time, in the very beginning, it was Remy Zakin and Gideon and I were all in um, tutoring together. This was before off, before off Broadway. Uh, yeah, it was kind of wild. Thinking back on it, it's so wild. But I just kind of like, I don't know, went through my days and did it. It wasn't until I was outside of that world that I was like, whoa. Oh, what a wild experience. I do that. Yeah. So that subject matter is really obviously very tricky with young people. How was that handled with all of you as far as, you know, uh, you know, the, the direction and the staging? How did, did you ever feel uncomfortable? How was all of that brought up to all of you? Yeah, absolutely. I think we all felt uncomfortable at certain times. I mean, I think it's impossible not to. Uh, and then like your parents going to come see this. Right. Like... Exactly. But I think that's kind of what it was about, right? It was yeah. about like putting people out of their comfort zones and allowing us to talk about things that are uncomfortable and weird and strange, especially with our parents. That's kind of what the show was about, was generational um, misunderstandings and miscommunications. And so I think that opened the door for us, or at least for me, to be able to like have these conversations with my mom and my dad. My parents had to read the script before I could even go in for it. And so they were very aware of what the subject matter was. And I think we're excited about me exploring this as a young person because, you know, what's so strange about it was a lot of times when you see high schoolers on stage, they're 30 year olds, but we were actually 15, 16, yeah. 17 year olds. So we were experiencing the things that this play was about, about angst and sexuality and discovering our identities. So it was uncomfortable because of how close to home it was, you know? Did you know, did you have a sense of where this show was going to go, that it was going to have this huge, huge impact and win a Tony and all of that yeah. at the beginning? I don't think so. I think we all just felt like this is a really cool, special experience and who knows how long it'll last, but we'll remember it forever. And then we were just on this train that didn't stop. And once the momentum started, we were like, oh, this is a big deal. So I don't think at the beginning we ever realized, but it was like, you know, workshop, off-Broadway, bam, you're moving to Broadway, bam, you're getting great reviews. We're a hit. We get you know, 15, however many Tony nominations, we win a bunch of Tonys. It it just was so fast paced. Everything happened so fast. It hardly gave us any time to take it all in. And again, like I said, I feel like it wasn't until I was outside of it that I realized, wow, that was a true phenomenon that I was a part of. How much did the show change from New York Theater Workshop to Broadway? Um, Quite a bit. Lots of songs. Lots of songs changed. Duncan wrote new songs all the time. And actually, fun tidbit that not a lot of people know about the origins of at least my involvement in Spring Awakening is that when I was originally cast, I was cast as Anna, which was subsequently played by Phoebe Stroll. And in the uh, workshop prior to Off-Broadway, the two characters of Marta and Taya were kind of split and um, the storyline was shared between the two of those characters. And then off Broadway, I was kind of promoted 
as you will. Ooh. <laughs> yes. I even re-auditioned, which was very oh, wow. okay, weird. Um, <laughs> and I ended up playing Marta, who sang The Dark I Know Well and who had that um, very dark scene prior to the song. So that was a huge change from the workshop to Off-Broadway. Um, and then the song, The Dark and a Well, actually used to be entirely Marta's, and then they wanted to incorporate Ilsa's story into it, so then Ilsa was incorporated into the song. So a lot of character development, a lot of song changes, um, a lot of choreography changes. Some scenes were entirely cut. I mean, it was drastically changed I think from the workshop to the Broadway production for sure now when you're like 15 years old how are you accessing this darkness that we're talking about in the song and this storyline what how were they helping you kind of create that and what were you doing on your own to kind of figure out who this girl was yeah um you know I actually did quite a bit of research I I I remember there was a Barnes and Noble right around the street from my high school and I would go into Barnes and Noble and I would look up these nonfiction. Um, uh, first story, you know, uh, journal entries and, and these kind of documentations of experiences. And, and those really helped me, um, because it was definitely a stretch, you know, from my personal experience, but I was in acting school at the same time. So I think I definitely helped I definitely asked for help from my acting teachers along with my director to really delve deep into those dark subject matters. And like I said, we were kind of similarly experiencing a lot of the subject matters that the show, um, you know, tackled. So you guys were all like kind of little rock stars. It was like mini rent. Like you open up on Broadway. It's a big hit. They're on the Rosie O'Donnell show. Like, every day, you know, talking about it and people are kind of obsessed with you. And it really was this sort of next stage door kind of culture thing kind of, I felt like started to happen yeah. there with Spring Awakening. Talk to me about how the balance of being a high school kid and being part of this like very hot group of like teenagers on Broadway. Yeah. I mean, it was so wild. Imagine, imagine just being a teenager in high school and then you know, full force throwing yourself into this very adult professional world. No, I couldn't handle like going to gym. I don't know how we all handled like fans and things. At 15. Yeah. yeah, super surreal, right? To have to go to school during the day, do your homework and then sign autographs after a show at night. So weird. Like super strange. And then go home and do more homework. Like it was wild. It was very, very jarring. It was very surreal. I definitely felt like I was living two lives at the same time. I was living my, you know, adolescent high school life. And I was living my very cool professional adult life. I, believe me, I thought I was very cool and grown up when I was 16 years old. Looking back, I'm like, whew, God, I was such a child. Um, yeah. So it was just such a surreal experience. I mean, I think about, I think back on like the energy I must have had to do these things at the same time. I, imagining going to high school today just in general is terrifying but having like my worst that, actual nightmare yeah, my actual worst nightmare because like I remember waking up at six o'clock in the morning or however early to go to school at 7 a.m who 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 on Broadway besides people who have kids I guess wakes up at seven in the morning no one our lives are at night like we have to be at a 10 at nighttime and so it, it was crazy that I that I even had the energy to do this. And luckily I was 16. So I did. So 
Remind, talk to me about the Tony Awards. It's a big night. You know, you guys get nominated. You get to perform. There, you know, that camera's right on you, right at the top. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so now, like, you're you're in this place, this thing that you've watched on TV. Probably you've seen your dad win, and you're like there doing it. Talk to me about the Tony night. Yeah, so it was my first time at the Tonys, and normally when actors and shows are just performing and aren't personally nominated, you're not in the audience and seeing the Tonys live at Radio City. But our wonderful producers allowed us to attend the Tony Awards, and so we got to dress up and walk down the red carpet and be in the audience and watch the show up until you know we were pulled backstage to perform. And before we did perform, we won so many Tony Awards. And it was so cool. We just like kept standing up and hearing our name being called. And it was just wild. It blew our mind. And so we performed, I think, very close to the end of the broadcast. And how it works is like, we're in the audience in our cute dresses. They call us backstage. We change into our costumes. Then we walk on stage and we're set and there's this scrim in front of us. So we can't see the audience yet until, you know, they announce our show and the scrim rises and we see the millions seemingly of people in the audience because there are, I don't know, five mezzanines or something. I think it's five levels. Yeah. At at Radio City. And so like this curtain just slowly rises and we slowly see more and more people and it is terrifying. And then we hear the guitar start and then we hear Leah start singing. And it, I just remember, I still talk to my girlfriends from Spring Awakening about this memory, this experience. (laughs) Keep going. It's okay. Mine is sitting right behind me. Um, I still talk to my girlfriends from Spring Awakening about this experience of looking at each other's eyes and just being like, whoa, we are here. We are doing this. What is happening to us? Um, And then we perform and it was really like that was a blackout experience for sure. Once it start, once I started singing, I don't remember a second of it. I just remember looking back on it and seeing videos. Um, and then we won Best Musical, and we all got to run on stage, which I also think was one of the very first times casts started doing that too. Because like before that, casts didn't go they on. Say, they weren't in the building. Yeah, because they weren't <laughs> in the building. So like, why would they be running on stage for Best Musical? But you know, the thirty producers and the entire cast all ran on stage when we won Best Musical, and it was really special. So that was the end of your junior year of high school, yeah? Yeah. So then you have to go, you do obviously do the summer, uh, starring on Broadway, and then you go, talk to me about this next year. Like, how do you manage your senior year, and you're continuing to do the show, I'm assuming, because when Jenna Ushwitz was on this podcast, she said, luckily, you had to go back to high school to do your SDF so that she could join the cast of <laughs> Spring Awakening. Exactly. I think I forget that that was even the, like the reason that she joined the cast was because I had. So, OK, yeah. So my senior year. I had a lot of stuff to do. I was studying. You like had to go to college. Like, I had to figure out. Out of colleges. I had to go to my prom and my graduation. And because I was a drama major at LaGuardia, every senior year they have a thing called SDF, the Spring Drama Festival. And in order to get your quote unquote drama diploma, which who cares? And I don't even know where mine is at this point. You needed to do a play. And so even though I was on Broadway working professionally. That's so wild. I know my school required me to, you know, be a part of a play. And the thing is, as a teenager, 
as a part of the community of the school, I wanted to. I wanted to be in a play with my friends, of course. So I requested a week, a vacation from Spring Awakening, and they generously gave it to me so that I could be in school full time for that week and be in a production of Dracula. (laughs) Okay, okay. The most absurd thing that I've ever said in my life. It's it's like, I mean, it was basically written by our drama teacher. It was... No offense, but like it was real bad. Yeah, we and, know. We know how these things go. Yeah, it was real bad. I played Van Helsing, so oh, I got right. to murder Dracula every night. That was very satisfying. Um, and then you know we had our big SDF cast party at the end, and then you know the next day I just had to go back to school and then do my show at night. That's uh, so wild. And on t- so on top of that was SATs. I remember I took um. The one of the, one of my SATs was on a Saturday morning and I had two shows that day and it ran super late. And so I remember taking a cab from my SAT to the Eugene O'Neill Theater, doing my braids in the car. And I showed up at like 15 minutes or something. I showed up just in time for me to legally still be able to go on. Because, <laughs> you know, when you like you yeah. show up after 15, you have to be booted. So that was like, a crazy Give the girl a break. She's like trying to get her SAT <laughs> done. What uh, was the, uh, I want to know about the Kids of LaGuardia because I feel like it had to go one or two ways. Like you're in the hottest show on Broadway that each one of them probably wanted to be in. And you're still like in school. Were they lovely to you? Were they a nightmare? Is it a mix? Talk to me about what school is like while you're doing that craziness and now you're a hit it's a big thing I mean I'm sure there was some envy involved but I swear I never felt any negativity from people at from the students at school teachers I can say otherwise but students (laughs) jealous yeah just a bit um the students were amazing. My friends were amazing. They all came to see the show. They were so proud of me. They were so excited for me. I really was one of the first people, I think, at LaGuardia to be working on Broadway at the same time as being in school. So it was kind of this new, exciting thing. And I think it kind of opened the door for other kids to be able to do the same thing. So I was really proud of that. A lot of more kids after I did started working um, and the school was a little bit more lenient about that. So I was really proud that. You're um, like, well, you let Lily Cooper do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they said that. And then it was my fault for the, for the rest of history. So after having this like huge experience on Broadway, how do you walk away from that and let someone come in and replace you and on all that? It was definitely a hard decision. Um, I knew, I always knew that I wanted to go to college and I was right around that age. I was coming to the end of my senior year and, you know, I knew I would have to leave the show in order to do that. And Remy Zakin actually took a year, a a gap year in between so that she could do another year of the show. And so as Remy and I were talking and applying to colleges, we decided to leave together because we decided that we're both sort of on this next um, journey in our lives, ready for this next journey in our lives, and we wanted to be able to go out with each other. And then we talked to the rest of the original cast, and the rest of the original cast wanted to be with us because it felt like we could only finish this out together. You know, we could just trickle on. Like it didn't, it did that didn't feel right to us. It felt like we started this together and we wanted to finish it together. And it luckily was the perfect time for everybody. So, um, Phoebe, Ryan. Tyler, Remy, and I all announced our last shows at the same time. 
And so we had our final shows together. It was the most wonderful thing ever. I mean, it felt like the show kind of coming to an end and continued um, with the cast placements, but it felt like this wonderful final note to our experience together. And it was really special to be able to go out together. Oh, what a good way to close it out. Lily, we're going to take a little tiny mini break and we're going to come back and talk about Wicked and SpongeBob and Tootsie and all that fun stuff. So we'll be back in a second with Lily Cooper. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We are back with Lily Cooper. Okay, so you finished Spring Awakening. Talk to me about college. <sighs> Not a loaded question. Yeah. So college. I went to Vassar. Because uh, you're we- very smart. I'm quite intelligent. Um, I went to Vassar, which is about an hour and a half north of the city. I knew I wanted to go someplace that was fairly close to New York, so I could come home whenever I wanted, maybe potentially continue to audition, Um, a place that had a great theater department. And, you know, it was really a strange transition for me because, like I said, I was living this kind of double life of being a kid but also being a grown-up. And then going into this very insular bubble uh, of people who, some who knew who I was, which that was really strange, feel this kind of faux celebrity to a certain extent. Like, you know, I was the freshman girl who was just on Broadway. And I just wanted to be a normal kid going to college for the first time. And the fact that I was from New York City and we were going to this kind of like suburban, tiny, tiny campus, um, it was a really jarring kind of strange transition for me. I, I, I can't say that the first year of college was like a very wonderful experience, but um, I'm really glad that I decided to go to college because I think that that's kind of what it's all about. It's about all of the experiences and meeting people and learning about yourself. And I definitely did that. Was there ever a question? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that I I went abroad my junior year and I I cannot recommend that more to anybody who's thinking about college because it is the most magical experience is being able to live in another country. Was there any question that this was going to be what you were pursuing? Was there a minute where you were like, I'm going to be a journalist. I'm going to be a, was there any moment where you're like, I'm not going to be an actor? I don't think there was ever even like a millisecond of that. Right. <laughs> yeah, there really wasn't. So Wicked is like you you do three penny at Atlantic. Like you're work you get out of school and you're working, but Wicked feels like it's the the first big adult after college job that you get to do. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, definitely the first 
big, exciting gig that I got to do after college. I did it pretty soon after I graduated. I did a little fringe show, um, actually with Ethan Slater, uh, right outside of college. And then right after that, I did the tour of Wicked. And so I started in the tour and I was the understudy for Alphaba. And as the understudy, you're the second cover. So I hardly went on for Alphaba. And the entire year that I was on tour, I performed as Alphaba twice. So that was kind of tough because it kind of was a blow to your ego. You know, you think like, oh, I'm here to play this role and I didn't really get to play her at all. So that was really hard. But I, what I was really grateful for was that I paid off my student loans in a year. Yes. Um, And I really felt like I paid my dues and I proved myself because Wicked really kept me a part of the Wicked family. They, after tour, they asked me to fly to Australia to be the alternate in Australia. So I played Alphaba there and then I came back to the tour as the standby in Canada for a few weeks. And then finally on Broadway as the standby. So I played Alphabet in three different countries, which was really cool. So cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then finally on Broadway as the, as the standby, which I got to say is, I think, the scariest job I've ever had and hopefully will be the scariest job I'll ever have. <laughs> is it just because you just have to be ready in a second to do it and you're not totally. and it's not in your body? Totally. I mean, like, you have to be... You have to think of, okay, I have to be physically prepared for this too and mentally and emotionally prepared for this. I have to be able to like warm up at a moment's notice. I have to be ready to go on in the middle of the show, which I had done once and that was insane. And it's just a really intense – like when you're – all the alphabets that I know, a lot of whom were – full-time alphabets and standbys have said that being the standby is more nerve-wracking than playing the role eight times a week. It's so, it seems like it's so hard. So many young girls look up to you as an artist of color who's played Alphaba. And I think that that has had a huge impact for a lot of kids. Did you ever think about that as like being a big moment? Absolutely. Cause you know, um, my mother would always tell me that she thought that I would be a great Alphaba like when I was younger. And I was like, oh, I don't think that that, I don't think that that's in my cards. I never believed it. And I think a lot of that was because I never saw a woman of color as Alphaba. And um, once I auditioned, I was like, oh, mom, you're right. That, I actually put that in my bio, in my first bio. I was, my, the end of my bio was, mom, you were right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so great. It's like, you're wonderful. I watched some bootlegs of you on the show. Oh, like, oh my God, she's so good. Uh, <laughs> you just are such an interesting actor and you make such great choices. Was there uh, moments where you felt like this is where I can put the Lily Cooper stamp on it? Or are you just trying to get, make it happen? Yeah. You know, what's really interesting. So it was the first time I had stepped into a show that was already going on, you know, and that is a different skill than starting a show from scratch. And I was lucky enough to have been in in an original show. And this was a new learning experience for me because a lot of it is learning how to fit into the puzzle piece that has already been created and allowing yourself to, and forcing yourself really to kind of shut those parts down that want to create something new and different and rework the wheel because it is a machine and you just have to fit in the right place at the right time. And that was a really challenging thing is I think that I, I think there were a lot of moments where I was able to add my Lily flair to Alphaba, but there are a lot of moments where, you know, you just got to do what the girl did before you because it worked. (laughs) And that's just the facts of replacing somebody in a show. 
So we have to talk about SpongeBob, which is a huge part of your career, uh, having originated the role of Sandy in the, where were you guys in Chicago before pre-Broadway and then moving the show to Broadway. When that audition came in, were you like, we're, what's, what's, what's this? Oh, no, I was so excited. I was like, this is my part. I knew it. I knew it. I was so confident. I was so excited about it. I loved SpongeBob. I watched it since I was a kid, since it's, you know, premiered um, in the 90s, I think. And I was so excited because I always loved Sandy. I always felt connected to her. And I knew that Ethan Slater was playing SpongeBob. And um, Ethan and I had gone to college together, done a play in college, and did a friend show together. So I was like, we are meant to we were I was just so excited. So I found out how to get this audition. I call Ethan. He's like, when are you going in? <gasps> I'm going to be in the audition. I'm going to be reading with you. And so I was like, yes. I was so excited. I, I was, of course, nervous just as I am in any audition. But having a friend there just made it so much more fun and so much safer to, to just experiment and, you know, not be afraid to make mistakes. And that is exactly the environment that Tina, our director, created for us, which was to, you know, make sure that we felt safe to try absolutely anything and to not be afraid to make mistakes. And it was the most fun audition I've ever had and most likely will ever have. And I'll never forget it. It looked like you guys were having the most fun ever. I mean, just, it was like, this is a group of people having like such a wonderful, joyous experience. It was like, as an audience member who doesn't understand any, I don't know how any connection to SpongeBob. I was like a little bit like seeing a show in France. I was like, I don't understand what's going on here. But the joy was like coming through and these kids in the audience. What was that experience like sort of hearing kids have this elevated experience watching something they had watched on TV? Yeah. Like in front of them. The coolest thing was that it wasn't only the kids. It was the parents and the grandparents and the friends and the millennials and everything. Everyone loved that show because, like you said, it just kind of oozed love and joy and inclusivity. And uh, that's what made it so special. We got to really connect to the the kids in the audience. There was one moment where I get to run down the aisle and, like, high-five everybody. So I really got to feel that connection and that excitement from all of the kids in the audience. Um, I've never had any other experience like it. So you leave SpongeBob to do Tootsie. Um, how hard was it to walk away from that SpongeBob family? Oh, so hard. They're some of my best friends. We are still best friends. We have, you know, vacationed together, sung at each other's weddings. Like we're, we're truly family. Um, so it was really, really hard, but I got this amazing opportunity to star in Tootsie, which was wild. You know, I didn't go into Tootsie being like, I'm perfect for this part. I'm going to get this. Tootsie felt very much like a challenge to me that I was really excited to tackle. And once I got the job, I knew I had to leave SpongeBob, which was a really sad choice. But I think that that I was, I mean, how lucky am I to be able to go from one Broadway show to the next? And then the next. (laughs) And then the next. From day to day, like Sunday was my last day with SpongeBob. Monday was my first day of rehearsal with Tootsie. It was crazy. That's wild. So Tootsie was like legitimately the funniest thing I've, Funniest, I will say, I have never laughed harder. Maybe You're in Town is the only time I've ever laughed that hard at a musical. Um, When you guys were putting that show together, could you feel like this is so funny? 
everything that was coming out was, you know, just killer. I mean, those performances were amazing. Talk to me about that rehearsal process a little bit. Yeah, it was intimidating because the thing is, everyone in that cast was so funny. It was a group of comedians. And Robert Horn, uh, the book writer, who is one of the funniest, goofiest people I've ever known in my life, uh, was just writing jokes for us moment after moment. And we were trying different jokes and every second. And it was There wasn't a 10-minute period of rehearsal where we all weren't cracking up laughing. And, like, that's such an amazing experience in rehearsal. Like, you love that. And the the awesome thing about it, too, was that our creative team was really collaborative and wanted us to give our input and wanted us to help out. I mean, there were some jokes that we created that were in the show. Um, And that was really cool, too. And of course, you got your first Tony nomination, which is a really big deal. You know, working on Broadway from like, you know, 11th grade on, you know, 10th grade on. And here you are having this moment. What did that feel like? Oh, my gosh. It was wild. I I wasn't expecting it. Um, I was like, of course, I would love to get nominated. But I, I tried to I tried to surrender to whatever was going to happen. Right. And so that morning I turned or sorry, I, I, I'd set my alarm till after the broadcast so that I because it's really early in the morning. It's at like 830 so that I didn't have to wake up and watch it, you know, on my couch. And I, of course, couldn't sleep at all. So I was like tossing and turning in bed. I, I'm like, oh, it's probably after nine now and I'm not getting any phone calls or anything. So it didn't happen. That's okay. I've surrendered to it. I roll over, I look at my phone and my phone was on silent and I had like 60 text messages and like 150 phone calls. And I was like, wait a minute, this must mean something good. (laughs) These can't be (laughs) condolence text messages. (laughs) And finally my mom calls me. She's like, Lily, where have you been? You got nobody for a Tony Award. Oh my God, that is so wild. Um, and it felt like through, was that overwhelming, that Tony wildness of having to do the luncheons and the meetings and then do your show at night and then all of that? Or was it just, talk to me about that. Unbelievable. They do not prepare you for this. It's another job. Like you've added another job on top of your Broadway show. You get nominated on a Tuesday. You go to your show that night, which is a magical show, by the way. Wednesday morning, before two shows for everybody, which makes no sense, you're at this like Tony luncheon with all the nominees. And so you have to be on in a cute dress with your makeup done, you know, Day one, basically. And then after that, it's interview after interview after photo shoot after, you know, and it's just crazy to add that on top of your eight show week. And don't get me wrong. I was so grateful and loved every minute of it. But my God, I was tired. It just seems like, like unfair. Yeah, (laughs) I know. (laughs) Um, Was that night magical for you? I think it was the most magical night of my life so far. It was incredible because again, one of the biggest, um, one of the biggest kind of like recommendations I got from friends of mine who had been nominated prior was to just enjoy the night as much as you possibly could and to take it all in and to not stress about winning. And I really didn't. I didn't think I was going to win. I didn't stress about winning. I didn't stress about a speech. All I did was focus on, holy moly, I'm sitting two rows behind Catherine O'Hara and across the aisle from Audrey McDonald, and I look fierce in my Zach Posen dress, and my husband looks fierce in his fierce suit next to me, and 
oh my God, Billy Porter's singing karaoke during the commercial breaks. Like I was just having the most fun ever. Really incredible. It felt like Tootsie was the show to beat all season. And then this sort of like left happened, which didn't make sense to me. Like I thought you guys were winning every Tony Award. Was that like a, a tough pill to swallow? Um, no, I think we were kind of prepared for that. I think we were prepared for that. I think the two that we won, we were definitely expecting and hoping that we would win because I think they were so deserving. Um, Santino Fontana and Robert Horn. And, you know, there's a lot of whispers before the the actual night and a lot of guesses. And you kind of just sort of prepare yourself for what you think will happen already. So I don't think it really was a surprise to us. Such a bummer. But it was so good. You were wonderful. The show was so fun. Um, I truly wish it had a longer experience on Broadway for you know, I so many yeah. I totally agree. But I will say I ha- I'm honestly so grateful that we closed when we did because – we closed in January of last year of, of well, 2020. Jesus. Yeah. What wow. Okay. <laughs> um, and that was a month or two before the pandemic. And so we luckily got to close out our show and say goodbye and really finish it out on yeah. a high note. And that was so unique for this season because a lot of the shows didn't get that. And so I'm really grateful that we had that. Well, you were brilliant and I'm so glad so many people got to see you do that and could see you not like play a squirrel one month and then the next month, like this very like put together girl, like it just, it was a great uh, experience for people to get to see you season to season doing wildly different things. So I hope that that pays off in wild ways in the next coming years. So you've done a thousand TV shows, like going through IMDb last night. And of course you're on like everyone's demo recording for everything. Um, <laughs> just like, oh my God, another one. I listened to you sing all night last night and I was like, she's so good. But um, are there things that you're like waiting to happen that will are coming up for you next that you know about that maybe you could share with us? I do have a really exciting project coming up that I can't talk about. Okay. I'm doing it's one of those. I know, so annoying. No, but- it's fine, but that makes me happy. Yeah, but it but like you guys will see it soon and it's going to be great and I'm really excited. I'm actually heading out of the country soon um to film this project that I'm a part of and I can't wait. I'm I think I've I've always wanted to be to delve deeper into television work and um I think I'm finally getting that opportunity and I'm really excited. Oh, congratulations. You deserve it. You're also like a fabulous teacher. You've been teaching at Broadway Workshop for the last couple of years and I'm so grateful to have you working with our students. So, thank you for all of that great work and sharing your story and sharing all of that with our, our kids. Yeah. I always say that I think I get out as much from those workshops as the students do. I genuinely enjoy them just as much. And I feel like I learn just as much. I love, so love great. All right. I need to know what you're obsessed with right now. And then we have to do Broadway workshop, quick fire questions. So Lily Cooper, what is your obsessed for this week? I mean, I'm obsessed with Bridgerton. I just, I Ugh. couldn't stop. I was like, I was reluctant at first. I'm like, oh, this is cheesy, whatever. And of course I fell in love with it. It was amazing. I watched the whole thing in like three days. Yeah, it's great. It was my obsessed last week and last week's episode. But um, <laughs> this week I'm, I'm obsessed with Foodility, which is an app for your iPhone or whatever you app, wherever you app. And you kind of, you could take pictures of your food and write it down. I feel like I was spreading a little bit at the end of 2020. Oh, and I so like I just need to reel it in. And this app has like been very helpful and it doesn't like count calories, which makes me crazy. So uh, Foodility, you can find it on your, if, that if anyone's looking. Okay, here we go. This is a list of quick fire questions put together by me and Broadway Workshop students. 
just go with your first thought, Lily Cooper. Here we go. Your first audition song. Uh, oh, um, uh, imagine. First Broadway show you saw. The Life. We, at like seven, you saw that the Life? I remember. That I remember. I think I saw shows before then, but I genuinely don't remember them. I saw it three times. It was my junior year of high school. Okay. Oh. Um, so obsessed. Have you ever turned down a Broadway offer? <laughs> no. <laughs> Tell us one thing about working with Jonathan Groff. Ah, everyone says that he's the kindest person in the world, and he absolutely is. He will not disappoint. So dreamy. Um, if you can go back and do one performance of anything from your career, what would it be? Um, I'd love to play Alphabet one more time. Fill in the blank. Julie Halston is hilarious. <laughs> what do you want on your bagel? Locks and capers. Who is your favorite alphabet? Christine Dwyer. Oh, I could talk about it for days. Oh, days. It's Let's another podcast about how much it's, we love Christine Dwyer. It's so good. Uh, strangest fan interaction. Um, I got a gift card to Sabaros once. <laughs> That's I crazy. think someone else told me that story and I can't remember who maybe it's like a crazy Broadway person that gives gifts maybe. oh my god yeah I'll get back to you on who it was um one show you will never get over not booking oh um uh book Mormon go to album for a car trip um Stevie Wonder's Anything, Stevie Wonder, anything. anything. <laughs> Have you ever had to call out mid-show? No, but I did call out five minutes before a show. Brittany okay. Coleman, I'm so sorry. <laughs> She's probably not listening. Um, worst, worst audition you can remember? <laughs> yeah, it was for hair at the park, in the park. I had to sing um, White Boys, and I forgot the lyrics three times. Great. Well, you know, you got to do it at your high school. You already yeah, checked the hair box. Who's uh, your number one favorite Broadway leading man? Ooh, it's a tie between Santina Fontana and Ethan Slater. Great. I'll take that. Um, I want blank movie to be a musical. Death Becomes Her. What role should Patti Lapone play in the revival of SpongeBob? <laughs> Mr. Krabs. <laughs> Can you name two real housewives? Uh, yeah, Ramona and Sonia. Yes, thank you, New York. If you could direct the revival of any show, what would it be? The Life. Name a musical you're okay with never seeing again. Ooh, that's so mean. Uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. That's fine. It was not good. What is your a go? What is your go-to in-between show food? Sushi. If you can go back in time and see any Broadway show any year, who would, what would it be? Ragtime, all the way. The original. Who makes you starstruck? Audra. Same. Have you ever seen a ghost? No, I don't right. think so. Maybe today's the day. Um, yeah. <laughs> what is your Starbucks order? Grande iced coffee with coconut milk. Do you do any impressions? Nope. <laughs> I'm going to get one out of you. Um, how Ever. much money would it take you to skydive? Zero dollars. You are a skydiver. Oh, like, I want to. Do it. I've it never sounds, done it, but I'm, I would love to. Sounds terrifying. Um, have you ever left a show at intermission? Yeah. That's fine. You don't have to tell us what it is. What movie can you watch over and over again? 
Forrest Gump. Did you receive a million squirrel things during oh, SpongeBob? I have boxes of them at my mom's house. Boxes. And what advice do you have for young performers? Be a good person that yes. people want to work with. Yes, Lily Cooper. Well, you're a great person that people want to work with. <laughs> I am so grateful you shared your story with us today. It was such a joy to hear it from you. Tell the people where they can follow you and find out what Lily Cooper is up to. Yes. So I am on Instagram at Lil Coops, L-I-L-C-O-O-P-Z, and Twitter at Lily Cooper. Uh, Lily, you're the best. Thank you so much. It's so great to see you. And I'm excited about whatever this next project is. You'll have to yeah, tell me what I can done. talk about it. <laughs> okay. Um, thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week. And remember to subscribe to the Little Me podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and write a long review and all those things. And follow us on Instagram at Little Me Podcast. I will see you next week. Thank you, listeners. This podcast is produced by Alan Seals, Dory Berenstein, and the Broadway Podcast Network and edited by Derek Gunther. For more information on the Little Me podcast, go to bpn.fm slash little me. And follow me on Instagram at Mark Tuminelli or on Twitter at That Tuminelli. And for more information on workshops, classes, and everything Broadway Workshop, go to broadwayworkshop.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.